Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Zvi Band, author of Success is in Your Sphere, and if you want to learn how to become a professional when it comes to managing relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing interview here on the Build Your Network Podcast. Every single time I get to sit down with people of this person's caliber, I just remember why I started this show to begin with. So this time I flew all the way out to Washington, D.C., brought my videographer, Eric, with me, and we sat down and had a chance to sit in the actual offices of Compass Real Estate and interviews V. Band. Zvi is the co-founder and CEO of Contactually, an intelligent CRM platform for relationship-oriented businesses and specifically real estate. It's a software as a service that helps tens of thousands of professionals stay top of mind with their key relationships. The software has proven effective in dozens of industries, including, and most importantly, residential real estate, where the top brokerages in the world have come on board as partners. Contactually was founded in 2011 and is part of the prestigious 500 Startups Accelerator. To date, it has raised $12 million in venture backing 
backing from some of the most respected names in investing and was recently acquired by Compass in early 2019. He's also the author of the new book, Success in Your Sphere, which is really near and dear to my heart because it teaches you all about how to leverage the unique power of relationships to build a better business. We talk about so many things, but just a few of the things that we go into are how the book writing process was for him, how the publishing process was, and some of the lessons that he learned from that whole thing. And then also we talk about what it was like to have your company acquired for nine figures, a nine figure buyout. What's that like? And then we talk about how to use your relationship capital wisely. It's just like regular capital. You can only use it if you have it. You shouldn't go into debt to use that capital. So can't wait to share some of the amazing, amazing insights that Zvi gives us in this episode. But first, if you wonder how I've been able to build and maintain relationships with all the amazing people that I've had on my show, one huge way is through the power of podcasting. Without a doubt, it's my most strategic and effective networking tool. So if you are running a six or seven figure business and you want to add podcasting to your tool belt as a way to amplify your network and your message, then head over to travischapel.com slash coaching to apply for an upcoming opening in my program as I only accept a couple clients at a time. That's travischapel 2 ps 2 lscom slash coaching. I'll talk to you then, or I'll catch you maybe in the Facebook group sometime. And now here is my chat with Zvi Band. Let's go ahead and start off with the beginning of Contactual. So okay. Obviously, we are one and the same, meaning that like relationships are very, very crucial and at the top of the priority list. Yep. And um, the new book, Success in Your Sphere, is obviously a huge indicator of that. Leverage the power of relationships to achieve your business goals. Like, that's literally everything that I teach on. I figured this wouldn't necessarily be a weird topic for you to to be talking about, (laughs) right? Uh, uh, do, Do you get that with some people where they're like, oh, interesting, let's talk about that. Luckily, one of the things I'm incredibly thankful for is I can't, every professional I talk to, when we talk about, when I say like the term relationships are our most important asset, no one says like, oh no, that doesn't apply to me. I don't really care about that. Like, and I I actually expected some resistance. And once in a while, like with Contactually, we would encounter someone who's like, no, you know, honestly, I don't really care. Like for me, I buy online leads, I convert them and that's it. I don't really care what happens. I completely respect people that do. The funny thing though that I didn't necessarily expect is that when we're talking about relationships, we, um, the people, I sometimes have to clarify that we're talking about professional relationships. I was actually meeting with a PR firm in New York as we were kind of getting ready to market the book and it was really only like 30 minutes into an hour long conversation did they realize I was talking about professional relationships and not like like oh this is not dating advice and I'm like oh this is completely awkward this is you are not the right yeah exactly this is okay let's start over again Um, more than once yeah so I mean there's definitely that like even uh, I was doing uh, a live interview on Quora yesterday and there were a lot of like dating questions that kind of popped up because it's like hey if you have a question about relationships like right. ask to be banned so that's hilarious <laughs> yeah that definitely happened to me on more than one occasion like oh you give dating advice like no 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 no, no, no. let's restart let's recalibrate <laughs> the conversation here okay so from the beginning you have now you started built contactually now it's a nine-figure acquisition that's just come through in the last 12 months right where did that all start in terms of like 
your desire to, to create something in software, to create something in relationships? Like, how did, did you fumble into it? What was that process like? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stumbling around. I think there were, there were two aspects that were there. One, before Contactually, I was running a consulting firm. I was basically freelancing for a lot of big firms like Ford and CBS and Volkswagen and all these really great firms. I kind of knew, though, and for many people in the services business, I like to say, like, I was getting tired of getting paid to build other people's dreams. I wanted to build something of my own. So I got really worn out of the services business, so I wanted to focus on a product. So there's kind of like, that had me in search mode for it. At the same time, one of the things I definitely realized in my career, which we I think we talked about last time on the show, is that I learned early on in my career that my relationships were my most important asset. Like that's how I was able to become CTO of an enterprise software company, uh, start my consulting firm, and work with such amazing clients in such a short period of time. So I knew this was important, but I was really bad at it. Like very specifically, I would meet someone, I would, wouldn't record the information, I'd completely forget about them. When I tried to remember who I met with, there was no way I could do that. And so I said like, why can't tools help me with that? Obviously most people point you to CRMs like Salesforce or HireEyes or Sugar CRM, and they all made me do more work and weren't actually helping me do what I needed to do, which is help me build relationships. And so that was the idea behind a proactive CRM, wrote it down May 15th, 2011. So I think it was those two things coming together that led me to start working on the prototype um, behind what would become Contactually. And then when we first had the opportunity to take this seriously and focus on it full time, we said, hey, yeah, this is, this is what we're gonna do. I was ready to focus on a product company and I was passionate enough about the idea at the time that it was worth pursuing. When did you really realize that you were gonna attack the real estate space specifically? Because I assume it didn't start <coughs> out with that specific target in mind? Yeah, I didn't, definitely did not start off with uh, with that target. We, early on, we were focused on, I would say, like the <coughs> consumer market, okay. right? We were focused on Just any, any solopreneur kind, type? Yeah, any thing. kind of professional, like, you know, freelancers and things like that. I call, like, kind of the TechCrunch audience, like, literally, like, early for the first few months. Our way of growing um, was, like, just getting releases on TechCrunch and having people write about us and people, you know, beta testers to find us. And that worked initially. One of the books I think was really helpful and informative that I think every entrepreneur should read is uh, Jeffrey Moore's Cross in the Chasm. And basically uh, what Jeffrey talks about is kind of, you, you may have seen kind of like there's kind of this bell curve of like early adopters to early majority to late majority right. to laggards. There's kind of that curve. And most companies struggle going from early adopters to early majority like getting past the initial beta testers and people who like trying new things to take, start to get to the majority of the market. And he advocated that the antidote to that is to focus on a particular market. And so that's something we definitely agreed. Like if we just kind of focused on relationship building in general, we weren't gonna get anywhere. And so we saw this interesting cohort of real estate agents come on board. We had an MBA intern that was working with us in early 2012. And we basically said like, hey, go, figure out the real estate space. 
And he came back to us and said, yep, nope, big market, technology landscape out there sucks. The agents that we spoke to, they really like get the value of your product. Yeah. And so we said, okay, like let's, you know, we're still a very generic relationship building tool, but let's start focusing a little bit on real estate. And yeah. so it was a slow transition. You know, it was really only in like 2016 that we said, okay, we are only real estate. We are not going to be selling to anyone else. Yeah. And even then we still like allowed other people to sign up. Um, so it was a little bit of a slow transition. Got it. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Got it. What kind of change in the growth of the company did you see when you started focusing on specific niche? Yeah, I mean, we started seeing like the, I think it was obviously a focusing activity. Like it meant that like, okay, I am going to go to real estate conferences. Right. We're going to try and speak in real estate. Who are the early adopters in real estate? Who are the influencers? Right. And let's get them on board. Um, now it's transformational. So we started seeing like you know, numbers really move up to the right. You know, we started seeing can actually just get mentioned more organically in Facebook groups and at conferences. Uh, people would start talking about us on stage. We just inbound and direct traffic just kept growing. Yeah. And so that was that was huge for us and said, okay, this is great. One of the things though that was challenging for us is that because we we have very big ambitions with Contactually, we kept saying, hey, well, let's focus, let's, yeah, like real estate's great, but like let's kind of try and add other markets, things like that, and so that kept diluting our focus. So if I were to go back and do it again or advise anyone, I'd say like, hey, focus on one market, one market alone until you feel you've nailed that market and then slowly start making pivots. You know, we, we were too indecisive early on. Yeah, why do you think that was? I think because we had a big vision. I was not willing to say that we are a real estate CRM. I was like, no, but like, 
lawyers need this too, and financial advisors and consultants. And I see all these people, like, you know, going back to relationships, actually. We do have people who use Contactually even nowadays for online dating, right, to track their dating relationships. This is such an important thing that like, I don't want to necessarily be put in a box, box, right? And so it was that impatience that led us. I think that honestly made it worse. We probably could have moved into other markets if we had focused much earlier. And that's why, I mean, I I advise entrepreneurs to really focus, focus, focus early on, because that can enable so many things. Yeah, it's funny because I have this conversation with so many people and the advice is all like, all over, not mean, and I don't mean all over, like scattered. I mean, everybody says it, right? Pick your niche, yeah. narrow in, focus on it, and blow it up. And yet, entrepreneurs, I think in general, just have that shiny object syndrome. Yeah. Like you, you just, you believe so much in what you're doing that you feel like it applies to so many people. Yeah. So what would you And we say? all want to change the world, right? Yeah, like right. we all like, no, I don't want to just do this right. one thing. I want to, I want to help every professional yeah. build relationships, right? right. So. What would you say? What would be what would be your advice on how somebody listening right now could actually apply that into their life and their business? Like if they're in a similar situation right now and they're kind of where you were and they're like, look, I, I know that I probably should be focusing on this one vertical, yeah. but but these other people they, they needed to. Like what would what would you say to them? Yeah. On, on the practicality, how did you go about actually implementing that? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the fundamental lessons in leadership and especially in startups is uh, having the ability to make really hard decisions and focus and saying what you're going to say no to is one of the biggest leadership challenges that you face. And so that's kind of one of those early things you have to focus on. So yeah, it is figuring out what market you're serving, figuring out what feature set you're going to build and what features you're not going to build yet, what markets you're not going to build yet, what ideas you're not going to chase, and delaying those to later. And quite possibly, like even though I say it now, we may have never moved out of real estate because we could, if we said, hey, we're going to focus on real estate, we may have kept having that conversation, but like it's been a good enough market that, hey, this is, this is our home for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right, got it. So build up contextually. When did you realize that like, okay, we have something here? Like we're seeing some big growth. Was it like one point or just was it gradual? No, it was dozens of different points. I remember one of the very earliest points is when we started seeing trial users sign up who I didn't know personally, (laughs) right? Or I didn't, or identify themselves as not coming from someone that I already knew, just like people who were just using it. Then it was like having people sign up who, who just I didn't know either. What another funny point I remember is uh, it used to be uh, our credit card processor. Every time we charge someone's credit card successfully, it would send me an email, like literally a drop an email inbox. And I remember yeah. at some point turning it off because I was getting too many of those emails a day. And like it's like little things like that that kept reinforcing it or hearing about it mentioned on stage, the first time we got mentioned in a book, the first time we got mentioned in a magazine, the first enterprise customer we had, the second enterprise customer we had. So there was no one point that said, hey, we've got something here. And at the same time, there were still even those demons in my head that still, even like the day we were required, yeah. there were still things in my head saying, hey, is this just a flash in the pan kind of thing? Right. So, right. What made you think that it wasn't? Was there a reassuring thought following that? Is it just a flash in the pan thing or was it just like- Yeah, I, just I think it was being backed up by that, right? Is that like knowing that, two things, knowing that 
at any point in time, basically like 24 seven, 365, there was someone using our product and getting value out of it. And uh, we were very, very early customers of Intercom. They actually went through 500 startups with us. So we were one of the first people to set up Intercom. And I remember periodically opening up Intercom. Like, if you're not familiar with it, it's a CRM for web applications. And you can open it up and you can see who's actually using your product, like, right now. And I used to love that, right? I would open it up randomly and I just see like who logged in, like, right. and I'd see there are people using this product right now. Yeah. And I have no idea who that person is and I've never spoken to them. I've honestly never even see their, seen their name before. Right. And that was like this amazing reassurance. Another thing that backed me up, um, you know, when people ask me, uh, what is it about that I love? It's that knowing that there's an entire floor here of people who are working on this. And yeah, of course they're getting paid, but they believe enough in the idea that it's worth them coming to work today. So it's kind of those things that kept reinforcing and kept giving me confidence as, even though I may lose confidence from time to time, clearly there are customers and employees and users who believe in this. Yeah. Was there a point, because I've found a lot of uh, venture capital, yeah. right? Was there a point when you were raising capital where you're getting like, nervous at all about the amount of money you were taking on and, and saying like okay man, like now it's real I have other people's money and I'm like I need to really make this happen was there any sort of nerve going into that or was it pure excitement I think it was pure excitement there was really no nerves around that like I wasn't no offense to my investors <laughs> but like I wasn't worried about losing their money because we were hiring you know these people weren't like this wasn't like their life savings or anything like that they're professional investors you know a lot of them were very good early on and said hey I realize I'm likely never going to see this money again, right? Luckily, they all made a lot of money off the off the acquisition. It's more like what one of the strenuous things about fundraising is. It is kind of oftentimes a hamster wheel. Like you are when you raise money, you obviously want to get value back to your investors, which means you need to grow. And in order to grow, you need to raise more money. And so there's kind of that cyclical nature. And so one of the things that was really incredibly draining about fundraising is you'd hustle, hustle, hustle. You'd close a funding round, high five, and you're like, okay. And then you yeah. immediately start thinking about, okay, <laughs> or what's the next funding round? How do we get set up for the next one? You know, you raise your seed round. How do we get you set for your series A? raise your series A, okay, what do we need to do in, in order to raise our series B? So in my head, I was always thinking about fundraising and that, that was an exhausting process. Yeah, yeah, would, would, that, would you say that was one of your least favorite parts of the process? Two things I absolutely hated about, hate about running companies in general is fundraising and commercial office space. Um, so yeah, that was actually one of the things that like luckily we hired it as we hired a team, my CFO, things like that. He was like, hey, I'll handle the office search. So this, this I had nothing to do with, yeah. but it was, uh, but fundraising, yeah, it's a, for some people it's exciting. And even though I love sales and th therefore like sales, you should therefore love fundraising. I really hated it. It's a very draining process. So built <coughs> now acquired. Eight, nine months ago? Beginning? Uh, four months ago, actually. Four. So, yeah, we signed the letter of intent December 31st at 6 p.m. That's pretty cool. But the deal, but we didn't actually, like, the sale didn't actually go through until uh, late February. Was your goal always to sell? My goal 
I'll say this, I was not trying to run Contactually forever. I knew that this was, and I, you and I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, hey, they start a company and they want to run this the rest of their lives. That was not me. I was like, hey, I don't know how long Contactually is going to be there, but I'm not going to be there forever. So uh, there was that. Obviously, with raising money from investors, you know, they have to see a return in some kind of liquidity event. I knew early on that likely was not going to come from an IPO. And so there was, so therefore, that left out some kind of sale in some way. So I expected it to happen after maybe seven to 10 years, okay. and being seven and a half years, so definitely on the earlier spectrum for that. Yeah. Nice. So then coming out of that, you decide basically, uh, well, you've been working on this book deal for a little bit longer than that. You said three, four years now that you've been working on the book. Yeah. How did that come about? Did, was that something that you really pushed for? I know that you really enjoy the writing process and everything. Did, were you pushing for a book? Was the company pushing you to write a book for better publicity for the company? Yeah, a few things. So yeah, we started working, or at least started the idea behind a book in February of 2015. Um, so yeah, it was basically about a four-year process. So one of the things that we knew with Contactually is that when it comes to convincing people to use our product, it's not saying, hey, our product is so much better than XYZ out there. We weren't necessarily like that. The market space wasn't there for that. It was more convincing people to use something like this, period. Yeah. Like going back to your first question, why are relationships so important? Why you need to be strategic around it. Why do you need tools to for to help you nurture your relationships? Yeah. And so that was that was something we realized early on. We had to convince them why they needed something like this in the first place versus like Excel, using Excel or something. And so thought leadership was definitely a, a key tenet of our overall growth plan. And so as we were thinking about different ideas about how we build thought leadership, the idea for a book came about. Like um, just like the HubSpot founders, they wrote inbound marketing. They in order to make HubSpot successful, they had to almost establish the field of inbound marketing. Gainsight has done that around customer success. So we said, hey, like for us, we kind of need to like establish this field of relationship marketing in order for people to think about needing tools for it. So the idea of her book came about. I was definitely really passionate about it. I mean, I knew and my early investors were very much gung-ho on saying, hey, Zvi, your job as CEO almost above anything else is to drive thought leadership. So that's that's a really important thing that you need to be able to do. And so, yeah, I basically took it on me. This was like a nights and weekends project for like four years to get out. Yeah, I could have hired ghostwriters and their great services. As it happens, going back, I do love to write. That's something I've had from very early on. So it was a lot more work for myself, but I ended up deciding to write it. Yeah, yeah. What would you advise to anybody out there that's looking about, that's, that's thinking about going through the book writing process in terms of start to finish, like publisher, no publisher, ghostwriter, no ghostwriter, like kind of yeah. high, you know, overarching themes here. Yeah. Advice for anybody writing a book out there. So your flight out is at six o'clock, so do we, ha- <laughs> do we have enough time for yeah. that? Yeah, I'll give a couple high points. I mean, one, you have to believe in it, right? You have to believe in the idea behind a book and not just treat this as a marketing tool. It's an incredibly strenuous process. So I happen to, again, I love writing. I wanted this out. I believe enough in our space yeah, that right. I I wanted to capture everything we had learned. I knew books outlive software. So I knew this is a book that like my children will hopefully one day read. Please, if you're looking at this, please read this. Please, <laughs> it'll, it'll help you, I promise. And obviously if you want to have a book, you don't necessarily need to write one yourself. 
So you obviously can do that. There are ghostwriting services and guided author services you can use. As for publisher versus no publisher, again, there's no right or wrong answer. Anyone can go online and publish a book these days. But at the same time, anyone can go online and publish a book, right? So we, because we're trying to establish thought leadership, we said, hey, it's best to align ourselves and get like that good housekeeping seal of approval. And so, yeah, like, you know, a big reason why we end up going with a major publisher is, you know, honestly, like, you know, this little red square McGraw Hill on it, because this is part of their catalog forever. This is now like them saying, hey, we believe this is the book on relationship marketing. And I hope this lives on. Right. So yeah, it's a credible source. Exactly. Yeah top two or three insights, tips, strategies that you want people to take away from the book? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the book walks through the, the overall strategic nature of relationship building. The reason why I wrote this book, or the reason why it's important to have a book in general beyond just the thought leadership work is um, what we realized with Contactually is that we've built a really great tool, but just having great tools doesn't necessarily always help. Like having a great knife doesn't make you a great chef. Right. And so you have to learn how to cook and you have to have the practice and everything like that and the strategy. So that's why, so that's kind of what the book, kind of how the book complements the software or any other tools you might be using. This is not just a user manual for Contactually. Top two or three takeaways. I'd say like one, relationships are your most important asset, but you need, especially given all the pushback and challenges that we face, especially nowadays, you need to be strategic around nurturing the relationships that are gonna be important for your business, your job, your career. That's one. Two, you need to identify your clear goals, and all of us will have different goals out of our network. And then from there, we can kind of, you know, just identify strategies that we can implement on a daily basis that will help us achieve those goals. Got it. So how, this is a question, I'm really curious curious to hear your answer. Yeah. Because I agree with you on you need to be strategic about the relationships that you are building. However, I've seen a lot of people do this really incorrectly, meaning that they build strategic relationships, but it's just very clear that they're building strategic relationships. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? So how do you go about building strategic relationships without losing the personal like I genuinely care about this person touch to building those relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's where, um, and there's definitely a number of aspects and at the same time, a lot of people sometimes don't implement a strategy because they're so worried that they will come across as transactional, they'll, they'll worry they'll come across as transactional and not relational, right? right? So one of the specific topics that we do talk about, it's the second A in capital, adding value. We talk about how every interaction should be meaningful, relevant, and authentic. And so that is truly caring about this, right? You and I could have sat down today I could have gotten what I want out of it, right? Just, I get some more footage. You could have gotten what you all want out of it, which is just more content to kind of, you know, increase, you know, increase your library, and that's it. But instead, we're having a conversation here, and I was expressing genuine interest in how I can make you successful, right? So we already listed a few names of people that you should interview that I'd be more than happy to interview. In customer relationships, right, um, we, uh, when, you know, as CEO, one of my roles at Contactually was also to stay engaged with our customers. And it wasn't necessarily, and one of the mindsets I had to get into is, I don't want to necessarily just 
get them to renew and solve any problems that blocking them from renewing their customer contract. But I truly wanted them to be successful. I wanted their company and their business to be successful. So I think if we just take a step out of the transaction and really focus on the person, it naturally comes in. I mean, one of the other things that we you know, that we talk about is uh, in the iron capital is investigate. That's also again a small little thing that we can talk about, right? You know, again, casual small talk. You're coming from Toronto. You are. Um, you live in Vegas. Okay, well, you know, I completely forget about that, but who are the interesting people that I know in Vegas, right? Yeah. I'm going to write down, you know, in my CRM, you live in Vegas, you're in Toronto, you're traveling around in person doing these video interviews. Who are the people that I can introduce that would be valuable? Rather than just saying, oh, yeah, I got my footage I want, and like, you know, just... I completely forget about it. So right. it's small little things like that that can make a huge, huge difference. Yeah, what's your take on, I actually just had a couple people ask me this question yesterday in terms of small talk versus going deeper in relationships, how quick should that transition be? Should there be a lot of time living in the small talk area? What, what would be your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think small talk is one of the most valuable things ever. It's not something that I would say as long as it's just, as long as it's captured. Otherwise, if it's just like, yeah, like, you know, Uber was late here, traffic was late, it's hot outside, and you completely forget about it, yeah. that's very different. But if you capture that and you try and figure out how you can leverage that later on, that makes a difference. And also that allows you to open up and ask really great questions. Right. One of the stories that we talk about in the book is uh, I was meeting someone who uh, I wanted to work with and we, um, for coffee, and again, just casual small talk, just talking about what our weekend plans were. He mentioned that he was spending the weekend shuttling kids to a basketball tournament, right? Okay. Again, like that's like one of the things like that's you know fifty percent chance that a parent is going to say right. shuttling their kids around to some kind of sports event. Right. But I made a second ask him like, oh, do your kids play basketball? And he said like, yeah, like you know my eldest is really into basketball. He's in a free throw tournament. You know he takes it really seriously. Like he wants to play seriously later on in life. I made a point again. I could have completely forgotten about that, but I asked the question and I wrote down the answer. And when I want to follow up with him and send him a thank you for meeting with me, instead of sending him the normal like, thank you, Stephen, it was great to meet you. I went on Amazon, spent ten dollars, just ten dollars, and had a basketball ship to his house. Yeah. Completely different relationship. Years later, he's still referring business to me because I did that one little thing that I showed I care. It's all these little things. You know, I've had like wealth managers who will learn I'm having a kid and send me a book, like a kid's book. Right. And like right. small little things like that like can go an incredibly long way to stand out from the crowd that don't take a lot more work. Don't take a lot more time, don't take a lot more money, but just show that I truly care about you, not just the dollars in your wallet. Right, right. So I know this is something that we talked about last time because this is a question I ask every guest that comes on the show, so I'm sure I asked you. But it has been a couple of years. I'm sure your answer has not changed, but i got to ask it anyway. It may have. Who okay. knows? All right, we'll see. Who you know or what you know? Which one is more important? Yeah, that's probably pretty easy. Like, I do believe it's, uh, it's who you know. But of course, I can interweave it, but it's what you know about who you know. Okay. Yeah, I do believe that our, we're in a world where 
the skills and knowledge we have are table stakes. It's no longer about the knowledge that we have, but it's around our ability to seek the knowledge. When you and I went to school, it was all about like rote memorization of state capitals and geometry and things like that. But like nowadays, you know, when I can just open up my phone or even my watch and kind of get the answer, it's more, much more about searching. We were obviously like uh, one of our biggest markets uh, was residential real estate and you see it very permanently there. I remember when my parents were buying their house, we would, I would run down to the fax machine every morning when I would hear buzzing because that was our agent faxing us MLS listings. And that was the only way to get the information. Yeah. And nowadays, I can pull up in front of any property, open up the Compass application, and see more about that house and the neighborhood and look at crime stats than my agent ever could know. So yeah, I do believe that if the knowledge gap is gone and the skills gap is gone, our reputation is really our last and best competitive advantage. Yeah, that's such a fantastic way to look at it. So tell, tell us about a time in your life where like a big opportunity or moment of success came from a relationship or a connection that you, that you had? Yeah, I mean, very clearly, I would not be here in many ways. I would not be where we are today solely without relationships. Can I give two stories? Yeah, please. So I left uh, in around 2008. I left my job rather abruptly. Um, I was kind of like, this wasn't the right fit, looking for something new. Turns out this is actually the day... I think it was the Federal Reserve or some, some government agency officially declared that we were in a recession. <laughs> so great timing for me to be on the job market, but didn't have any job prospects, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I did the only thing that I know how to do, which is reach out to people that I know. And within a matter of a, a couple months, I you know, had a fully fully booked list of clients and projects and things to take on. I got introduced to a, um, I got introduced to an entrepreneur who had just raised funding and needed a CTO. And here I was, perfect developer, perfect guy who could be a CTO, ended up being CTO of that company, right? Amazing, amazing experience. So that's kind of one. Fast forward a little bit later, Contactually, you know, we had a number of think headwinds against us. You know, I was a first-time entrepreneur, didn't necessarily know, wasn't very good at fundraising. We're based in DC, not a great market for raising capital. We're building this product in this new market that like so funding was generally a very hard thing. And so we are at this point where we really need to raise capital and we weren't having much success. And turns out one of our users, a guy named Evan, was a really big fan of us. He and I happened to be talking. I happened to mention that he uh, that we were raising a round of capital. And he ended up introducing me to the one investor that basically opened the floodgates and let us have a oversubscribed funding round in 2014. If it weren't for that, we may not have made it, right? right? We may not have been able to raise capital. Yeah. Um, and so there were so many stories like that over the course of my career that have showed me that truly like my relationships are the most important asset I will ever have. This episode of the show is brought to you by Rothy's. And this one is for all of the ladies out there. Rothy's is a company that makes stylish shoes for women out of recycled plastic water bottles. And from what my wife says, they're actually really comfortable and they're machine washable because they're recycled plastic. So look, typically I wouldn't bring a product like this on the show that I don't personally use, but 
since my wife does, and since they've diverted over 25 million plastic bottles from landfills. I felt like it was something that I just kind of had to tell you all about. They launch new colors and patterns every few weeks, and they sell out constantly. Plus, they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts, or so I'm told anyway. <laughs> You'll discover quickly why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges, so there is literally no risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Check out all of the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Travis. That's rothys.com slash Travis. And I know this is mainly for all the ladies out there, but if you're a guy and you're listening to this show and you have a lady in your life, promise you this is going to make a fantastic gift. So head over to rothys.com slash Travis. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. How do you convince somebody else of the power of relationships because here's here's the problem that i run into specifically is that i believe in it wholeheartedly yeah i just, I just believe it i've seen it happen in in my life I've, um now i think you were episode number like i want to say three or four of i remember show. you were pretty early yeah, on it was at the very beginning yeah when you came on which I, by the way i really appreciate that for for you to come on a show that was that new taking a chance on that it's, it's of course, man, I'm happy to help. But now coming up on episode 300, just like a couple years <laughs> wow. later, you know, talking to a lot of people, a lot of really successful people, and seeing the stories, right, just over and over again of how many times people were in rough spots and a relationship pulled them out of it. Yeah. And so I, I just wholeheartedly believe it. But when I try to convince other people how important it is to spend time, energy, and money even on relationships, I get a lot of pushback because there's no trackable ROI. Right, like if you invest in a certain thing, you can track them. It's a measurable amount of money or time or whatever that you're going to get back from doing that. Relationships is just kind of like putting out goodwill, yeah, and just kind of being like, hope that works. So how do you how do you go about telling people or convincing people that like, look, this, I promise you, this is going to be something that you're going to want to spend some time. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's I've honestly like kind of taken of taken a step back and just kind of not done that anymore. That's why, like, if people say, like, if I kind of were in front of an audience, you know, or talking to someone, and I usually open up with a slide, relationships are our most important asset. And I luckily, like, you know, when I ask, raise your hand if you agree with this, you know, 90% of the room raise their hand. The other 10%, the only way they're going to get convinced is if they see everyone else around them doing it or if they start to see amazing things come out of their life from it. I think everyone can look off the back of the boat and identify how they got to where they are in part because they knew the right people even if it's just like having the right mentor having the right teacher growing up hopefully so i don't try honestly and I, i'm not sure we should because there's so many people there who do get it now the challenge is you know that is getting people to not just agree with it but prioritize the time around it right. and that's where we struggle because you're right it is such a fuzzy thing and like what can i do now 
that's going to help me get my business now. And this is something that you know, we're, you know, as human beings, we're wired for short-term benefits, right? It used to be, you know, when we were cavemen, we, we needed to think about how do I put food in my stomach, shelter over my head, fire, make sure I'm not going to get eaten by lions tonight. You know, it was all about how do I survive like the next few hours, you know, almost. Now we're kind of, most of us are completely safe. It's really thinking about, you know, how are we going to benefit in three months and three years from this? And so we oftentimes still just kind of, you know, go for the more urgent thing. And that's why the C in capital uh, is for consistency that, hey, if you believe and you believe that relationships are your most important asset and you need strategy behind it, the number one thing you need to start off with is just set aside time in your life. It almost doesn't even matter what you do in that time. Just set aside time to focus on those relationships. Yeah, that's got to be one of the most highest on the list of objections that I hear. It's just like, man, I just don't have time. <coughs> yeah. Don't, I don't do it on time. My biggest overcomer to that is you don't have time to not do it, right? Because if you were to estimate this, I know it's impossible, but just bear with me for a second. If you were to estimate this, how much longer do you think that would have taken you to get to the spot you are now in your career had you not placed such a high priority on relationships? Oh, I mean, I'm not sure I ever would have gotten to that spot yeah. right. where I am now without relationships. But let's say like 10 years or so of just working in corporate America, doing a good enough job that someone checks me off on a performance review that I able to do it. Like, yeah, like, and I, I saw my path ahead of me when I first graduated college and yeah like it would have taken another decade to get anywhere close to where I am yeah right well and that's that's the whole thing right there is that that's why I argue you don't have time to not do it because yeah you you might take a couple days to go to that event or take a few minutes to go online and buy a basketball and find, figure out someone's shipping address and send it to them right but it shaves years off of the growth curve for you on the back end. So yeah. it's, you really just don't have time to not do it. You just have to figure out how to prioritize that time now so you can save yourself an exponential yeah. amount of time. And one of the things that's necessary though is um, that I don't want to necessarily just skip over beyond just saying trust is that this is where like personal productivity does come into play. There's a amazing, amazing uh, coach that we work with, uh, Patrick Ewers. He works with like some of the best venture capitalists and lawyers and just world leaders. Uh, he's based in Silicon Valley and he realized that you know, for his clientele, in order for him to help them build and invest in their relationships, he had to figure out how to give time in their day. So that's why like virtual assistants are such a big thing, right? If you can find some way to delegate out a lot of the things that are already on your plate, then great. One of the L in capital is for leverage. And that is, again, talking about like, okay, how do we make sure that's as easy as possible for you to do what you do, right? So if, yeah, if you may think, hey, it is really time consuming to send these emails to people over and over again. Okay, well, can that be an email template? If you're trying to send out, you know, if one of the things that you like to do is you like to send out books as gifts to people. Well, instead of just going on Amazon and searching for book every time and filling out a note card and putting your credit card down, could I instead have a stack of books next to a stack of pre-stamped envelopes 
next to a stack of cards and like assembly line, like the moment I want to send out a book, write down the card, put in the envelope, put the book in the envelope, close it and then ship it off. It's things like that that can, we, can give us greater leverage. But yeah, a big part of it is you just simply need to trust that this is worth the time and investment. Yeah, was there a point for you when you realized it was worth it or did you kind of just always, did, did it just kind of make sense to you? It kind of made sense to me. I mean, it was, I would say, Actually, maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit. I remember when I first graduated college, my first job out of college, you know, I was working for a government consulting firm, and I remember I was invited to these new hire networking nights. And they were talking about like, yeah, build your network now to help your career. And I was like, that sounds like the dumbest thing in the world. What do I have to do with that, right? You know, I'm gonna hide in the corner and drink beer and you know, then go back to my desk and work. And again, I also saw like there was lots of like, you know, networking events or conferences with networking uh, and I never thought it was valuable. I think it was only when I really found a reason to start networking, like I wanted to learn more about startups, I maybe want to start one in the DC area. That's when I started kind of like going to events and meeting people and not networking, but making friends. And those friends end up turning into these amazing, amazing people that unlocked amazing business in my life. So you said not networking, making friends. Do you view them as two separate activities? <clears throat> not really. Okay. Um, it's more that like, I would say like, well, they're different connotations, right? You know, networking, oftentimes if you ask anyone on the street, they think like really poorly lit bar with bad drinks, you know, everyone going around Maybe slinging bags. business cards. Yeah, like the whole thing is just trying to get more LinkedIn connections out of it. Whereas friendship, yeah where friendship is really trying to build personal connection and trying to help each other and being personally invested in each other. Obviously what we try and do nowadays you know, with relationship marketing is somewhere in between. So yeah, I didn't want to network per se. I knew I wanted to meet people and so I knew how to make friends because I'm a human being. And so I would just kind of go and make friends. So I wouldn't try and meet 30 people in a night. I'd try and would meet three people and have three really good conversations and meet them for coffee afterwards. And those kind of kept building up to the point where I jumped off on my own and all these people came to my support. Yeah, well you said something interesting there. You said that you're a human being and that's obvious, but I think a lot of people- Thank you, thank you, yeah. I think a lot of people forget about that though in the networking process. They just forget to be a human being. Yeah. They're, they're this sales machine that's just like you said, just like flipping out business cards, you know what I mean? They're just. They, they get in this mentality of, I gotta close business tonight, or it was not a successful networking event. Yeah. Right? Instead of just like, be a human being, go there and build real friendships with people and get to know them, see how you can serve them and help and add value. And then that's the start of building a relationship with somebody that maybe five years from now could end up turning into a partnership or an introduction to somebody who helped you through a, a big thing that you're trying to work yeah. through or something. And hopefully everyone who has achieved some level of success can look back and say, yeah, of course, like, it's because I did that. Right. This is one of the things where we have to be careful because technology nowadays isn't necessarily always working in our favor. And that's also another reason why this book is timely in that social media, it's helping us be connected with more people. But that means we're going a mile wide, but an inch deep. Mm -hmm. I'm connected to thousands of people on LinkedIn and Facebook that if they called me up, and ask me to hang out, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, whose number is this? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> who are you? And vice versa, like if I needed something from them, they wouldn't even know who I am. You know, it's funny, I actually still get 
I get random text messages like happy birthday or congrats on the sale or things like that from numbers I don't recognize on my phone and I'm yeah. too awkward to reply back <laughs> and say, yeah. who is this? Because clearly they feel they know me enough right. to like, you know, to do that. And I think that's that's a big problem these days. I mean, there's uh, Cigna Health Insurance Company. They surveyed 20,000 Americans and over half identified as being lonely in some way. Yeah which is crazy because we can be connected with so many people, but so rarely does like this happen, face-to-face, belly-to-belly. So I think you know, there's almost part of this that some people have said that this is almost reteaching people how to build relationships right. for people that social media has kind of trained us, oh, if you care about people, you have to click like on that post. Right, right, and they have their friends <clears throat> that they've never actually met or interacted with or seen anything except for a picture that they like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I see like, you know, I'm guilty of it too. You know, I, I scroll up and down Facebook and Instagram too. And I'm like looking at pictures of people's kids. I'm like, I don't even know who this person is anymore, but I'm looking <laughs> at it. Nowadays, I'm trying to go, go through a little bit more of a social media purge and ask myself the question of like, if I saw them in a coffee shop, would I talk to them? And if not, then I'm going to unfriend them kind of thing. So I've tried to kind of implement a little more more practice, but yeah, we're, Again, we're trained now to like do these kind of light touches and not really go deep with people. And so our hope is that you take this book or take these lessons or this conversation and try and figure out you know, who the people are that you want to go deep with and then figure out how you go deep with them. Talk to me about the importance of thought leadership for you, for companies in general, their overall growth. Like, is that really something that's crucial? Is it necessary or is it just a booster? I think at the end of the day, like you have to have some kind of product that's actually worth building thought leadership around. I love the line, like nothing kills a good, uh, bad product, like good marketing. Um, <laughs> and that's definitely true. I've seen a number of great products or bad products just completely disappear because they hired a really good marketing team or had a good marketing push and do that. So I think you can't skip out on just like actually being good, just like when it comes to relationship marketing, having the skills is table stakes, but it still needs to be there. Yeah, I mean, this is something I, I struggle with. You know, we clearly like, you know, we're pretty good and built a great team that you know, drove a lot of great thought leadership. Do I think we're in a world where everyone needs to be a thought leader and everyone needs to be an Instagram influencer? No. And so this is one of the personal crises I've actually had where I had to build a lot of thought leadership and I spoke a lot of stages and things like that. And now that Kentucky is sold, I have kind of almost like, you know, kind of lost my mission, you know, like a Ronin, uh, if you've ever watched, uh, ever read about them. I don't necessarily need that. And so I'm not trying to be thought leader like, you know, for this. I will always make sure I leverage thought leadership to push whatever I believe in and push the cause that I'm pushing at one point in time. But do I think everyone needs to have an Instagram audience and everyone needs to write a book and everyone needs to speak on stage? No, only if you have a message that you want to share. Yeah, got it. So coming into kind of the last part of this conversation, I want to make sure that we touch on on software because that's something that I told you before we hit the record button that I'm super interested in. And I know that a lot of other people out there are really interested in that. And obviously, it's a huge segment of like all of entrepreneurship yes. at the moment. So let's say you're like me, and you're not a developer, and you don't know how to code. Where do you start? Like, if you just got an idea, and you're like, hey, this would be cool, how do you actually turn it into something that's tangible? Yeah, I mean, luckily, it's nowadays that it's pretty easy to get anything you want built. 
Like that's one of the amazing things. And no offense to my you know, to my engineers here, but anyone can build anything. Like you could right now like go on Upwork.com, which is a just the marketplace of freelancer or Indeeds or others, and basically say, hey, I want an iPhone application that does like A, B, and C. That's not really like that's that's not that hard per se. It'll be costly and things like that. The really hard thing is building something that people will actually want. Yeah, right. That's really hard, and building it with quality. So that's why you, yeah, we have an amazing, amazing engineering team here, and they—they're they, not just taking orders, but they're thinking about how do I build really great quality software. Our product managers and designers and researchers—they're all thinking about it. So, I would say it's a pretty straightforward process if you're not familiar with like kind of the lean startup methodology. That's obviously a, a great place to start. But I would say like the framework that you should have in your mind is that like, hey, if you have an idea. If you want that product to exist, period, okay, you can just hire someone to go build it. But really more like, you know, especially if you're trying to build a business around it, the fundamental thing that you need to do is try and determine like, if this is the right product to build. So that's really where this kind of methodology comes around of, all right, you know, I have an idea. Let me talk to people who I think would benefit from this idea. And not necessarily talk to them about my idea, but talk to them about the problem that I see in the market. Do they agree with the problem? Then maybe pitch them my idea and say, hey, do you think this would solve the problem? Then you can move to wireframes. You could sign up for things like Balsamic or others and say, all right, cool. Well, this is how you could interact with it. Do you understand how to use it? Put Literally put a paper prototype, like print out your wireframes, put it in front of people and say, all right, can you show me how you would log in? Can you show me how you would send a message to this? And if they can't like literally click on it, on paper, then how, what makes you think that they'd be able to use it once you'd actually built it out? So it's things like that. It's getting through that process of wireframes and designs and beta products and the real product. And so you know, we've been running can actually in, you know, now to come to seven and a half years, and we still follow that process where our PMs are always still trying to understand, you know, yeah, we have a, they have a lot of good intuition, but they're always checking themselves. Yeah. So that's why like if you have an idea, your best thing to go is see like if other people have the idea and it's magical because you'll watch your idea morph. The idea that Kentaxi was initially was god awful terrible compared to the idea that or the product that you actually see today. Mm, yeah. So do you subscribe to the uh, Reed Hoffman example of I think he always he always says something along the lines of if you are happy with your product then you've launched too late or something like that yeah I mean there's definitely this um, and one of the key points of like having a minimum viable product is literally just getting it to minimum viability and your minimum viability will always be below your targets so yeah I mean that's probably a mistake that we made that we built out too much functionality that we wanted to see in general early on and didn't necessarily go deep on like getting some basic things right. right. We're obviously now kind of learning from our mistakes. So yeah, I would say that. And like that's why it goes again it goes back to it like you should be ashamed of the wireframe, but it should at least be enough of an idea. Right. Same with those early designs, but you're not trying to build the perfect product. You're trying to see if people would use it. And those are different things. Mm. And so, yeah, I look at, again, seven and a half years later, I still look at Kentaxi and I, I get angry because there are still so many things I want 
to have built inside of it that don't exist. And I'm like, why doesn't this exist? But I have to keep my mouth shut because this is what we've built has been the right thing and we're continuing to hone the right thing. And yeah, we still may build out the dream functionality I'm thinking of later on down the line, or we may not. There are a lot of things that I wanted that we built or at least tested and turned out to be the absolute wrong idea. And we had to scrap it and I hate it, but like, I'm not trying to build a product that I want. I'm trying to build a product that the world wants. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I could talk to you for a really long time because there's so many commonalities here and a lot of things that, um, that we can just continue to talk about. So if I don't wrap up on purpose, then we'll probably never wrap up. Well, you have so. a six o'clock flight. We've got time, yeah. right? That's true. That's true. So heading on into the last segment, the random round. These are as interesting because uh, it's fun to compare, what, especially someone like you who's been <clears throat> so early, so like so long ago at the very beginning, and now coming on now. It's always interesting to see what the answers to these questions are, if they're still the same. So here we go. Are you going to be comparing to what I said uh, a couple years ago? Yeah, totally. Kidding. Oh, crap. <laughs> I should remember this. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Oh, maybe this is different. I could have given one or two answers uh, a couple years ago. So I really, I loved Legos building up. I actually still love Legos. The whole point of having kids for me, sorry kids, yeah. um, <laughs> is to have a Lego room again. So that That's I- That's exactly I, what I told my wife when we found out we were having a son. Nice, a yeah. A boy instead of a girl. I was like, well, <laughs> finally able to play with like Hot Wheels again. Yeah, oh my, uh, oh, my daughter loves <laughs> Legos. Yeah, no, we, we play Legos all the time together. So I initially translate that into wanting to be an architect. Hmm. So I still think at times like it'd be cool to be an architect. You know, obviously most architects are designing like office buildings right. and you know bathrooms. You know, I want to design like you know skyscrapers or really cool buildings. So like the part of me thinks that. The other part, uh, maybe a security guard. I joke, you know, obviously like you know, with contactually there's and now compass, you know, there's so much stress stressors and time pressures and you know, your mind's always racing. And I, I joke with a number of entrepreneur friends, like, wouldn't it be great to just sit behind the desk all day long? And <laughs> unless someone needed you for something, you wouldn't have to think or work. Right? Yeah, like, right. you know, I still won't rule out that maybe just for a day or two I'll just like be an Uber driver. They obviously have a tough job, but like it's a very mentally different job. Right. Um, so maybe that. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat with them for an hour, who would it be and why? I'd probably say Steve Jobs these days. There's been so much written about him, but there's still so much I don't understand about like his actual creative process and picking apart like you know how his brain works, I think it's interesting. A close second to that would probably be Richard Branson, because again, you know, there are very there's a very few number of people in the world that have been like so willingly to take moonshots, mm -hmm. and you know, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk are one of those. I think Richard Branson is absolutely fascinating. Okay. How do you like to consume content? audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? So two ways. I am a big audiobook person. So I've probably like, I'm not a very good like visual reader, to be honest. So yes, there is an audiobook of this coming out. I like, I listen to audiobooks religiously. Podcasts, you know, are close second. And then I also do, uh, then I save, I'm not a good at reading articles just like when they pop up or something like that. I'll like save them to Instapaper. So my Instapaper queue is probably at this point like a thousand articles long, but then I'll kind of sit down on a Sunday morning and just kind of crank through. 
Awesome, cool. One or two of your top audiobook recommendations. One or two of my top audiobook recommendations. So obviously there's recency bias, so it'll probably list things I didn't necessarily know about. One book that has like I'd say like changed my life more recently is uh, Donald Miller's uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Amazing, amazing book that I really recommend everyone read at some point in their life. Such a fascinating book and just kind of helped frame you know, frame my life or frame my future life in uh, such an interesting way. And then uh, the other one I would say is the book I'm reading right now, Robert Greene's uh, 48 Laws of Power. It's a fascinating book. Obviously, like, I'm not a sociopath, so, like, I'm listening to this, I don't like a lot of it, yeah. but it's still such an interesting way of, like, framing history through power. Yeah. Uh, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. My morning routine, so I wake up at 5 a.m., wake up, shower, you know, everything, get dressed, meditate for 10 or 11 minutes. Right now, you know, I've struggled with meditation. Um, I know meditation is the hot thing. I was not able to find a meditation routine that worked for me. The one that is seemingly working right now is uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. It's you can get as an application, but if you look up Waking Up Sam Harris, you'll see it. Really amazing, amazing content uh, that I find it's actually helping my practice. Then, you know, make myself like a vitamin drink, and usually by then my daughter is starting to wake up, and obviously then it's pure chaos for 45 minutes, and then uh, we're take her to school, uh, hop on the metro, listen to my audiobooks, and then I'm in the office. What is your go-to pump-up song? Go-to pump-up song. God, that changes all the time. I'm not, I don't stick to any one thing. Yeah. There is, I would say, uh, Idris Elba, believe it or not. He actually has, so Idris Elba, like, obviously really great, a really great actor. I love him uh, on The Wire. Turns out he's actually an amazing DJ. Really? Uh, yeah. I did not know that. No, he's, like, go online and just, like, search up, it, search Idris Elba, and you're like, Wait, really? It's really cool. Um, so he has, uh, I think it's, he has a remix of, I think, Circles by Natalie Wood or something like that. It's such an amazing song that I love right now. But I, honestly, if you ask me that next week, I'm sure it's going to change something else. What is something that you are just not very good at? Something I'm not very good at. If a topic does not interest me, I cannot bring myself to pay attention and honestly I, I hate to say it applies to uh, conversations too there's definitely like a chemistry between people and there are people who give you energy and people who take energy and people who take energy from me honestly like I cannot stand no offense like I've obviously this is a great conversation I've had interviews where I'm like I can't even pay attention to the question they're asking for me. Like, I was actually really bad at this uh, growing up. I was not a good student because there were so many topics that did not interest me, and I would just barely pass them the second time around, right, just because I could not bring myself to be focused or be interested in something if I was not genuinely interested in it. Let's get everything wrapped up here, Zbi. Give us uh, one place online where we can find you active the most and then the place where we can find a copy of your yeah, absolutely. So uh, luckily, you can just Google my name, uh, Z-V-I-B-A-N-D. I'm pretty easy to find. There's only one out there. I'm most active on Instagram these days, Instagram.com slash Zvband. I'm fairly active on Twitter, Twitter.com slash Skevis, S-K-E-E-V-I-S. And the website, obviously, uh, is successesinyoursphere.com. And of course, uh, you can buy the book, 
uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and thanks to my publisher, uh, wherever uh, books are sold in person. Awesome. So. Instagram at Zvband, Z-V-I. If you're checking this out right now, if you're watching this on video or if you're listening to the audio, screenshot it, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me at Travis Chapel and at Zvband. Let us know that you're paying attention, checking it out, listening in, and we'll go over there and say what's up. And then please be sure to grab a copy of Zvi's book. I promise you, you will not regret it. This man is the authority in all things relationships. And if you're listening to this show, it's obviously something that's important to you. So go pick up a copy of the book ASAP. Zvi, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Again, this is you're part of an elite group, so you've basically made it now. You're like one of four people that's come on the show twice now. Wow. So. And also, I mean, in person, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. initially when you sure. said, like, you wanted to fly out, I'm like, really? For, for me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course, man. Of course. Happy to have you on. Happy to be here in person and see the office, see everything you've created. It's been a super inspiring visit for me, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. And this podcast is one of the ways that I try to do that since all of the content from the show is totally free. So when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways that I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, if you haven't done that, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. And if you want some more free content from me, head over to three, that's three spelled out, three networkingsecrets.com to watch my free masterclass on the three best kept secrets to building the network of your dreams. I promise that you will not regret it. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.